Well, good day to everyone. Just want to encourage everybody, if you've, you hear us say this from time to time, and we really mean it, um, Newcomer's Coffee is coming up. And we would love for you to come because if you're a member or if you're not a member, if you're new, if you're visiting, if you just want to get to know more about the church, it's a place you can ask questions. There's other places you can ask questions too, but this one is set up for that purpose. So I want to encourage you, sign up online, go through the, the website, or if you have the app, use the app, um, and sign up because we really want to, to um, just get to know everybody and, if, and you know, help people find, um, if this is your church, you know what I mean? That's that's the idea. I hope that if you're if you're looking for a church, if you're in the process of searching right now, that um, I hope that it's a high priority in your life, and that you want to get it settled because plugging into the right fellowship and being a part of that body is so important. And we believe in that, and we also believe in you finding out if this is not your church, because the kingdom of God is much bigger than this place. It's much bigger. And everybody doesn't fit here, but those who do fit here, who God is sending here, we want to embrace with open arms. And we also have lots of connections throughout the community. We work with other churches on a variety of levels, and we are happy to say, you might like this place better. So you know what I mean? We're, we're here to serve. We just want to you know, give you some coffee, and if you want coffee, and, uh, and a dessert, and talk through things. And if, um, if, it's, a, if it's blessing, and if, if it's a blessing and it's enlightening to you, that's the purpose of that meeting. And again, to encourage our members to come. Um, to meet people, because we don't want to um, have have a, a house full of strangers here. We want to we want We know it's not possible for everybody to know everybody, but we can get close. We can get close. So um, that's all I'll say on that. So sign up online if you will, or through the app. And let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this day, and we rejoice in it, Lord, a day that you've made, and we recognize your hand. Lord, and us being here together right now for a purpose greater than ourselves. Thank you, Lord, um, for every person that is here. I pray, O oh God, that you, Lord Jesus, would be the one whose hand is moving, Lord, and who's uh, walking among us, Lord. I see that. I love that picture from, the, from Revelation, that you're walking among the seven churches, Lord. And I want to pray that you'd walk among us here. Because, Lord, every one of us needs to hear something from you. Every one of us needs to be led or guided by you in some respect. We need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened. We need to be corrected, Lord. We need to be taught by you. But we need to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus, our Savior, today. And um, we want to know you, Lord, better than we did when we came in. And I pray and ask that you would let the Word of God be the sword of the Spirit in the house of God this morning and that you'd lead us into all truth and help us to receive it with grace, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So so I'm starting a series, a little series. um, It'll get us kind of up into the holidays here called The Keys to the Kingdom. And the important thing about this series is um, we all want to be, I believe, we want to be people who are learning how to to build the kingdom of God in the earth, that we recognize that this is what this is a this is one of the most important things that the church ever embraces, is that we are not just here to be saved. That's great. We I mean, and I'm not minimizing it either. Either I'm really, really, really happy to be saved, and I hope if you're saved that you are too, and you realize what you've been saved from, and you realize realize what you've been saved into and saved for that you've been saved for God and gathered into his family and his kingdom. Um, but building the kingdom of God is not simple. Um, it, it's in the sense that um, the church has been around for a long time, 
And, and I would say that the church's the vital um, terminology and the things that we talk about in the church don't mean the same thing in every circle. And faith is one of those things. You say faith over here, people think it means this. You say faith over here, people think it means this. And so our, our commitment to you as a leadership is we want to define the terms as closely to the scriptures as we possibly can, and we want to walk in everything that the Bible teaches to the greatest degree that we can. And so that is important, I think. Do you guys agree that that's important? Um, and, I, and, and I don't have, so, so this is one of the, the, uh, the benefits of being a non-denominational church is that nobody is sending us a manual to tell, to, 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 to tell you, well, this is how we as a denomination or anything else define faith. We can simply go to the Word of God and say, here's our manual, and we want to understand what faith is, so we're just going to do that. But I'm, the approach I want to take with these messages is practical theology. So the message is called How Faith Works and How It Doesn't. Because there's a way that's biblical to apply our faith. There's a way to try to walk in faith. But like everything that God has designed, faith has laws. And if you walk in the laws of faith, faith will do exactly what Jesus said it would do. And, um, but if you break the laws of faith, or you try to create your own, <laughs> create your own rules in how we operate in faith, then we get disappointed a lot. And so, how many, how many know the Bible says those who wait for him will never be put to shame? So, the object of your faith, and we'll talk about this, is the critical thing. That we're starting with a faith that is focused on God. And um, so, I want to do this together. And, and, and if you guys, I'm going I'm to try to make this as clear as I can. But we'll go through a series of these over the next few weeks. And I think it's really going to be helpful in, as we, as a church, work together. In, um, you know, in the way that we minister, in the way that we pray, in the way that we encourage each other, and in the way that we work out our faith um, when we're not together. So we'll start here. This is the definition. Many of you are familiar with this verse. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. Him is God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, which is that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So this is a this is a pretty this is a pretty cool verse, isn't it? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So faith is the key to pleasing God. And he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And this so this scripture is really important because faith is the means by which everything in your life and in mine comes to be. Trusting in God, something that he's done, trusting in the finished work of Christ. But faith is the means by which we please God. It's how we're saved. It's how sanctification takes place. It's how we're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's how we live victoriously. You know, walking by faith is a victorious life. If I walk in the flesh, I stumble and fall. And the Bible says those who who uh, walk by the Spirit will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh because they're just like there's two roads and they're just not walking on that road. Does that make sense? So you've changed kingdoms, but you've changed the path of your life has changed over to an entirely different place. So living by faith, walking by faith, practicing our faith um, is the key to everything. So it matters how you define faith. 
And if you look at this, this verse, it says, without faith it's impossible to please God, for he who comes to him must believe two things. One, that, that he is. And um, so believing that God exists is the first thing, of course, and the second thing is believing that he's a rewarder. So the first one has to do with the very essence and nature of God, and the second one has to do with his, with his character. What is God like? And the Bible says if you're going to please God, the nature of the faith that will please God is, one, a faith, first of all, that doesn't say there is no God. Because that wouldn't make any sense, right? You couldn't try to please a God that you don't believe exists. And then on the other hand, though, it goes deeper, and it says, not only does God exist, if I seek him, he's going to reward me. He's not going to miss anything. He's not going to leave me out. He's not going to leave me hanging. So you're believing something fundamental about the character of God. So it really should not surprise us that it's the devil's chief aim to destroy real faith or to deceive us with some kind of a substitute. So, so he wants to destroy faith. So the devil, when you're young, when, you're, when you don't, when you're not in Christ, he wants to keep you from believing, first believing that there is a God. Can't believe if you never believe God is nothing else. None, none of the rest of it ever comes together. You don't, you don't have any use for God's Son or the work of the cross if there is no God. So that's his first strategy with every person is to keep you from believing there's a God. If you've overcome that and you, now you believe there is a God, he's going to try to keep you from believing that he's good. And and that one I feel like I feel like at some point and I don't know if this is I don't, you know I'm not making a doctrine out of this but I feel like at some point or another the devil more or less gives up on some people trying to get them to not believe there is a God but I have never seen him stop trying to convince us that that God is not good because if he can discredit God he can strip the very heart out of faith because we're waiting for good things from a good God. And we're believing his word. And the word of God is sometimes shocking to us in how, in how generous God is and, and his character is revealed and his promises are made and all this. And so the devil never stops working this angle with us. He wants to tell you, you know, you know he said none of those who wait for him are ever put to shame, but you were sure put to shame on that, weren't you? He, he, fails, he fails to mention the fact that he deceived you and taught you things that were not true that led to the disappointment. Because his whole objective is to discredit God. And he will never stop working that angle with you or with me. So it will be the fight of your life, and it's a good fight, worth fighting, to hold on to the truth that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Because real faith will always double down on the goodness of God. It always will. No, he's good. I don't care what circumstances look like that has not changed God. Have you ever noticed we act like God because I'm now in a crisis. God's character changed. All that changed was my circumstances. God's still the same. So I hold on in faith to what I know to be true of God, and then my circumstances will ultimately be conformed in some sense to, to the truth that is in him. It doesn't mean you're not going to have to walk through something first, but you'll come out the other side and you'll recognize something, and we'll see this, how it all comes together. So the devil will try as a matter of course to get every person to doubt the existence of God, his goodness, and to deny the supernatural realities that accompany faith. And isn't this funny? Including the kingdom of darkness. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled, who knows this phrase, was convincing the world he didn't exist. 
And, you know, why would, you know, God wants people to believe he exists. The devil wants people to believe he doesn't. Because he wants to walk among us. He wants to hide in plain sight. And so all the time, one of the angles that the, the devil is working from the standpoint of the kingdom of darkness is to discredit God, to tear apart faith, to keep you from believing in God, but also not to acknowledge the reality of the spiritual world. That'd be the spiritual side, the Holy Spirit, and the life of God in the Spirit, and also the, the kingdom of darkness, the fact that we are in a war. And that we have a fight to fight. And if we don't fight it, we suffer casualties. And so then we stand by and say, well, what happened? Everything seemed like it was okay. And then all of a sudden, it just fell apart. And we just, we were not aware. We were not paying attention to what was happening spiritually. And so we missed some important things. So that's the strategy of the evil one to try to keep us from faith and from believing the things that are most important. So I want to show you something from this as we start to break into what faith really is. Faith could be broken into two categories, passive faith and active faith. And so let me explain to you what I mean by these terms. Don't get hung up on the terms. Those are my terms. I'm just using them to help sort of lay out a difference in in the way that we practice and apply faith. Passive faith, <clears throat> passive faith is your fixed beliefs. And I'm saying passive because these are things that you're searching out because you want to settle them. Is there a God? This is an example of what I would call passive faith. Yeah, you search it out. Faith comes into your heart. You believe and know there is a God, and it's settled. And some of these things are settled forever. They don't, they're not open to, to, to review. Does this make sense? And you can't say that about everything, but there are a lot of things you can settle. Is Jesus the Son of God? Go ahead and settle that one. Is Jesus Lord of all? Yeah, go ahead and settle that. Is he supreme among all beings in the universe? Yes, go ahead and settle that. Is God, a, is God three persons in one? Yes, go ahead and settle that. Because you can search it out and it never stops being true. And so this is what I'm calling passive faith, your fixed belief. It's like if, and I'm not a tech guy, but this is just what came to mind for me. It's like the operating system. It's your operating system. And everything, is, everything else is going to be built on this basis of belief, but the operating system's got to be right. It's got to be healthy, and it's got to be whole. So just like what I said before, the devil wants to keep you from believing there is a God, the most important thing you'll do is build the operating system and get that inst installed and settled. So the first part of your life, and I remember, you know, grew, I grew up with a kind of a, with a, with exposure to Christianity, but but not a lot of teaching, I guess. And then as I came to faith myself, or really began to walk with God at about age fifteen, I started to read the scriptures for myself. And before long, it didn't take very long. I started to have questions, and then as I really committed to 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 Jesus being Lord and following Him, whatever that meant, He He took me in as a disciple. And when he took me in as a disciple, he put me into the machine. <laughs> he put, I don't know how to say it. He put me into the, into the furnace. He, he started to say, like, you know, all that stuff you've been taught, I'm going to let you doubt it. And I'm going to let you search it. And I'm going to let you feel like you are just floating out there with no connection to anything because you're not sure what you believe. I'm going to let you experience that for a while, but stay close to me. And I will teach you the truth, and I'm going to give you all these things for yourself. And I will show you from my word and from nothing else what is true. 
And so he kind of stripped everything away, and then he gave everything back. And that was a process, and it was several years. And that's the operating system. Your faith has to be, it's great to grow up in a Christian home, but you're going to have to own your faith at some point. You can't get to heaven and say, well, my grandpa was a Christian, or my dad, or my mom. You can't, this doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? What means everything is, what did you do with the Son of God? Well, I put all my hope in him. Well, then you're saved. And so we, so we have to have the operating system in place because everything else is going to be built on that. <clears throat> active faith, this is, that was passive. Active faith is like the application, as the kids call them these days, apps. Did y'all know that was short for application? <laughs> I learned that last week. I thought it was neat. No, I'm kidding. But uh, active faith is like the applications that run on the operating system, the ways we apply our fixed beliefs as they merge with experiences and information, because that's where the challenges start to take place. I, the beliefs are fixed. There is a God. Why am I going through this tough trouble? God, I, there is a God, and he's good. Why am I going through all these problems? Now it's, now it's run into experiences and information, so now I'm in active faith. What am I going to do? i got to apply this stuff. So I'm going to need to know more than just the simple fact that there is a God and that he's good. I need to know more. How does this God operate? What, how has he behaved with other people in the past? What, so we study the scriptures and we see, oh, wait a second, he loved that guy and he was in prison for 20 years. So maybe there's more to this picture. You know? And so everything begins to shift and change around, you know, because I was referencing Joseph, but um, Joseph ended up, and at the end of it you say, oh, now I see what God was doing and it was all worth it. And, but when you're in the thick of it, you can't see that. All you can see is all the injustice and the trouble and the problems. And why, God, why? And so, you know, there's a, you have to have the foundation, the, the operating system's got to be in place, and then you've got to learn to apply it in active faith because it's going to be tested and challenged. So the first fight you have to win is for the successful install of the operating system, but then the ongoing fight is to maintain active faith to use the applications of faith to fight and win the daily battles. Because, I mean, Paul did not shy away from that when he was writing, did he? He said, he said fighting the good fight of faith. And that wasn't because he was an apostle. and he, I mean, he did have unique troubles and difficulties based on his calling, but so do you, and so do I. We have different experiences, but... Every one of us is going to come away from this thing at the end. You know, we get to heaven, and heaven is a resting place from, a we- from the weariness of life because we are those who take the narrow road and accept the fight because it's worth it. You know, Jesus bore a cross, but he said everyone who follows him has to take a cross. So it isn't going to be this cakewalk. It's going to be something where every day I get up and I say, today I'm walking with God. Today, I'm going to live for him. Today, I'm going to seek him. And if I, feel, and if I experience opposition, I'm going to fight back with the tools that I have and the weapons of faith. So this is how it is. We have our operating system, and then we have the application that sits on the operating system, that runs on the operating system, and we've got to work it out. So what, this is what I'm realizing through all this. That the greatest errors of faith and disappointments come from confusing active and passive faith. So let me give you a couple things on this. It's you take one, 
and you apply, the, you, you, and you, and just, I'll just show you. It's easier just to show you, okay? So let me say this. First of all, it's dangerous to allow fresh revelation to reinterpret timeless truths. Doctrine should be built on much scripture. Doctrine is operating system stuff, the things that are fixed, the fixed beliefs. Now, you're going to grow in your understanding of those things, but those are fixed beliefs. You're willing to debate and talk through the nuances, but there's fundamentals that are really not open for discussion. And that sounds closed-minded, but Jesus, there are some things Jesus never would have strayed from, right? So we've got to agree with him to the best that we can. We have a in the sense that we are closed off to, to certain things. But um, doctrines are built to, on much scripture. So if anybody comes to you with a prophetic word, a, a new revelation from God, and it contradicts the fundamentals, what do you do with the prophetic word? You throw it out. And you say, I need to know, because this person's either deceived themselves or they are a false prophet set out to deceive. So we're, so, we, so we're not going to allow the timeless truths to be reinterpreted by new revelation, right? This is the problem with things like the Book of Mormon. Right. Book of Mormon came as a new revelation, and it contradicts all kinds of fundamental truths that were already revealed. And God is not confused. He's just not. So he's not saying, well, I meant what I said was this, but what I meant was this. And so here's a new book about it. You know what I mean? That's why it's important that the canon of Scripture is considered closed, Right, because that was given by God. You know, you have to you have to zoom out from history and look at it and go, yeah. I hear people talk about, well, this person was corrupt and this guy had the wrong motive. Yeah, welcome to humanity. And still, God was in charge of getting His book together. He was the editor. He was the inspiration. He was the editor. He pulled it together. He used all kinds of people from all kinds of places, and His book got finished. And is a blessing to to mankind. The greatest book we have, greatest book there is. So. That's one example. Paul said, if I or an angel from heaven come to you preaching a different gospel from the one you've heard, what did he say? Let him be eternally accursed. Let him come under the curse of damnation, the curse of eternal damnation from God if they preach another gospel to you, even if it's an angel from heaven. So that's an, this is saying there are things that are fixed and they will not change. And if someone comes along saying, I just heard from God, you throw it out. Is that clear? Good. Flip it around now. It's also wrong to use timeless truth as a universal prescription for active issues. Living issues need a living word. Now, I'll explain what I mean by this. There's some, you get into a spot, and, 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 and this is good. Most of this is good. It just kind of goes wrong at the end. You get into a spot where there's something going on in your life, and somebody, somebody who's, who's telling, they're giving you good advice, they say, well, well, well what, are you, what are you believing God for? What's, what scripture are you standing on? And they say, well, it's true. I do need a scripture to stand on. So you get out your Bible search tool or a concordance or whatever it is you use, and you search and you search and you search until you find a verse that talks about what you're dealing with. Now, for the most part, this is good. But you cannot just pull any old verse. The reason I say this is there are verses about every single thing you're going through. And some of them will tell you what you want to hear about what you're going through. And some of them will tell you what you don't want to hear about what you're going through. So you don't get to pick the verse. That's the point. You don't get to pick the verse. So you pray 
and you ask God to show you, what are you saying right now? This is how we practice our faith, using the word of God, which is a living book, is it not? I need a living word. I'm, in a, I'm not asking God if you'll show me whether or not uh, you know, Jesus is the Son of God. I'm asking you to show me whether or not I should take this job. So um, we're, not, we're talking about things that are fluid. They're in motion, and it's active. I don't know what to do, and I'm in a spot. It doesn't have anything to do with my theology as much as it does. I need a word from God. I need to hear from God. This is an active faith issue. So living issues need a living word. So it's, you cannot just pick any old verse and say, that's the verse. You have to ha- have, and we'll get, I'll clarify this later, but, but we have to have, God gets to pick the verse. That's the point. Clear on that? All right, I'll keep moving for the sake of time. So let me give you a couple laws of faith that are going to help bring all this together. This is the first law of faith. Faith is only as sure or as strong as its object. That is what the faith is placed in. Real faith has God's character and a living word at its basis. Real faith has God's character and a living word at its basis. And my point in saying this is, you cannot just say, I'm believing this when you don't have a word from God to build that on. Does that make sense? And, and God's character is tied in right there, too. So um, I'll give you an example. This was one that Neil Anderson used, if you guys are familiar with him, Victory Over the Darkness and some of these other things. Really great material um, from those guys. But he, he, um, he talked about how he said, picture this. My daughter climbs up into a tree. She's not, you know, she's five, six years old, whatever. She climbs up into a tree and she sits on a branch. And I come along under the tree and I say, and she says, Daddy, I'm scared. I can't get down. And he says, okay, jump. I'll catch you. And she looks and she sees her daddy down there and she says, are you sure you're going to catch me? Yeah, I'll catch you. And, she sa- and he says, he says, and she says, okay. And she, and she lets go and you catch her and, and, you know, hugs and happiness and all this and everything's good. He said, so she recognized that I was someone who was able to catch her. There was a certain strength in me that she recognized, so she trusted me, so she let go, and I caught her. He said, now put my daughter back in the tree, and I'm standing there saying, sweetheart, I want you to jump, and I'll catch you. And she says, are you sure? Yeah, okay. Well, hold on one second. And then I get her little brother, who's just two years older than her, and I set him there and say, well, he'll catch you. Well, suddenly she won't jump. Because, and what, so what changed? The object of the faith is what changed. What I saw, what she saw in her father, she knew she could trust. But you change the object and suddenly it's not trustworthy anymore. It's not a good idea to jump. Because you'll jump and collapse the little boy as well and the whole thing's going to fall apart. So the object of the faith is what determines whether or not the faith is good, strong, and real. So your faith has to be fixed on God and on something that God has said. So faith that's built on God and his word will be resilient. But here's the error. Having faith in our faith or faith with our will as its object will lead to crushed hopes. I'll say that again. But faith that's built on God and his word will be resilient. But having faith in our faith or faith with our will, what I want as its object, will lead to crushed hopes and spiritual ruin. I can't just walk into a situation and say, well, this is a bad situation. So you know what? I'm believing God that it's going to change. You can't. You, okay, great. 
that's great that you're believing God, but what are you, well, what has God said? There's something about God's character you need to know. And so and I'm going to show you how, we, how, we, how, how faith is built on a solid foundation here in just a minute. But I can't have faith in my faith. I just better not let go of faith. But what's your faith standing on? Well, it's standing on the fact that I want this circumstance to change. Well, so, yeah. Well, I mean, I get that. But you do not get to choose the outcome of the circumstance. You talk to your Father in heaven and say, Father, what are you saying? Because God might say, persevere. He might say, stand strong, walk through this, I'll walk with you. And if that's what God says, that's where you anchor your faith. You know what God has told me? This is going to be a long road and a hard road, but he's going to be with me. So I'm walking it every day by faith. And that's real faith. But faith that says, I don't accept that. I, you know what I mean? I, what's the word? What, how, do they, how do people say it sometimes? I don't receive that. It's like, you know, have you ever heard anybody say that? I don't receive that. Jim Cimbala was talking about that. He said, he said, take that. He said, I played basketball. He said, take that into the basketball court. He said, the coach pulls everybody off the team and says, guys, we're 20 points behind. Look at the scoreboard. And one of, the, and one of your key players goes, hey, you know what? 20 points behind? I don't receive that. That's a bunch of negativity. It's like, no, here's the fact. You're 20 points behind. It's like we, we knew a lady who, who had cancer and wouldn't say she had cancer because she didn't want to say it. And she died of cancer because she wouldn't get treatment because she didn't want to admit she was 20 points behind. Some, you, but the Bible says that God delights in truth. Truth is where we start. You don't have to like the truth. The truth is just true. So you say, here's the fact. I have cancer. How can you ask somebody to pray for you if you want to admit you're sick? That's made up. That's phony stuff. That's not real faith. Real faith has, it's, is anchored in reality, and it says, what is God saying? Because God might say, you have cancer, and I'm going to save and redeem this whole situation, and I'm going to heal you, and I'll bring you out. And if God says it to you, you say, amen, praise God. I'm believing God. That's exactly what you do, and that's real faith. So my point is, faith, you can't have faith in your faith, and, you're, and you can't just say, well, what do I want for this circumstance? You'll be disappointed. You'll have hardship and difficulty. You will cause other people to be disappointed because they're going to try to stand with you, but you're not standing on a word from God. So, but go back to your core. What's your core? God is, and he is a rewarder. So this is not me advocating for God giving you lots of hardship. You know what I mean? We do have hardship. We do have difficulty. And this is where things really go wrong in the church is one person won't ever accept any bad news because they don't want to deal with it. And another person begins arguing for God wanting you to have bad stuff happen. <laughs> like, well, what if he wants you to die? Have you ever thought about that? And you're just like, I don't need, I, there's lots of things I need right now. That's not one of them. Because the Bible says he does not delight in the death of anyone it says the wicked it does not even delight in the death or the destruction of the wicked. God's not out to watch people die. Sometimes it's his will. And we don't like to accept it, but sometimes it is. Hard things, right? That's why we're talking about it, you know? Because you've got to navigate the, the murky. Is it murky? What's the word? The choppy waters, whatever the phrase is. We have to navigate it. It's also a grave error to turn God's character into a promise about what he will do. Basically, the idea is because God is, God will. And, and God is, God is um, I think I wrote this somewhere on here. Um, God is consistent. 
And that's one of the beautiful things about his character, but that does not mean he's predictable. And you cannot just say, because God is, God will. You need a word from God. God is a savior, but will everyone be saved? The answer, is, the answer unfortunately, to that is no. But he's working something. There's a bigger picture that's taking place. And, um, but does the Bible also say he desires for all to be saved? Yeah, because he's trying to show you his true heart. It, he does not delight in the destruction of anyone. But his plan is not to save everyone, even though he is a savior. God is a healer. Is everyone healed? Everyone is not healed. But we got to recognize that God is a healer so that we can have faith for the healings that God wants to bring. Does that make sense? So you cannot say because God is, God will, because that's just applying a formula. Why are we on this side of things trying to get out from the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Why are we, it's like, I don't want to have to listen to the Holy Spirit, so I have four formulas that I apply to every situation. You know what I mean? Does it, so that's not real faith. Formulas do not, are not real faith. Real faith is, what is God saying right now? So this is a phrase you hear sometimes, I'm believing God. And the question is, is there a living word from the living God you're standing on? Or are you hanging your hopes on the thin air of your relentless positivity? It's a good question for people to ask sometimes. I'm believing God. I've heard people say that. It's like, but God has to have said something for you to be believing God. It's, you can't just say, I'm believing God for the best outcome. Well, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute because there's several layers to this. But can you say, I'm believing God for the best outcome because God is good? That's a starting point. Yeah, that's a piece of the puzzle. But if the, if the outcome is not what you want, is God still good? Yeah, he is still good. So what do you do with that? So you can't apply a formula and say, I'm believing God. Instead, you say, God is good, but I, and I'm seeking him. I don't have a word from him yet, so I don't know how to navigate this yet. So I'm waiting for a word. And that's the way that real faith, active faith, you've got your foundational beliefs, but active faith is the challenge. So we worry so much about God's character being slandered. Well, I want it to go well because I don't want people to think poorly of God. Well, one of the ways, tell me, it's not, it's not when some, you pray for, you know, somebody, somebody passes away and people go, well, God doesn't love anybody. I mean, that does happen sometimes. But what's far worse is when a person stands there with no word from God and declares that they will be healed and says, God has said they will be healed. And then the person dies. Don't you think that's worse for the character of God? What if you'd gotten quiet before God and he said, it's their time? Then where do you place your faith? You place your faith in the word that it's their time. And now, in those situations, this is just what I do. You can do, handle this however you have peace. But when I find out that what God wants, or the sense that I have is that what God wants is something that's contrary to what, to what I can see, where I'm just going like, oh, really? Like that? Then I turn, and I change gears at that point to what we can all do, which is to ask God for a different outcome. You can always do that. Remember Hezekiah? God said, get your house in order. You're going to die. And Hezekiah started crying, pitying himself. It was really not a pretty picture. I've been so good, and now you're treating me bad, was basically the prayer. And, and, God, and, 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 and God said, send Isaiah back in there. Tell Isaiah, tell him, I'm giving him 15 more years. God had declared that he would die. 
Isn't that significant, right? God had said, but through intercession, the compassion of God was awakened, and God said, I'll, I'll give you, I'll, you know what? I will give you an extension of life. So my view on it is, if, even if you have this sense of like, this person's going to pass away, and sometimes that is the sense when you're praying for somebody, still, it's okay for us to ask God and say, God, would you give the, grant them an extension of days? We still have to accept his will, whatever the outcome is, but still, we, we don't ever, you know, it's, we don't just lay down and say, whatever, you know what I mean? Just kind of give up. You have to, we have to just, we're engaged in this process, and we know the heart of God, that he's good. Does this all make sense? We're just trying to learn. I like how Paul said that. Trying to learn how to please him. And I thought, man, this guy's so mature, and he says trying to learn. And, I'm, and I want to be always trying to learn how to please him. So there's a, there there's, can be only a fine line between praying in faith and wishing upon a star. And that's my point in this. You don't ever want to get into a spot where you're calling it faith, but you're wishing upon a star. You need to have a firm foundation under you of what God has said. And it needs to be a living word, and you need to know where you're standing. And then we trust in the word that God has said. Because that word, I guarantee you, if it came from God, you will not be put to shame. That's his, that's his promise to protect his own character. Does this make sense? Somewhat. Well, that's good. That's good. So the second law, first one was faith is only as sure as its object. The second law is that faith is not believing that God can, but knowing that he will. Otherwise, it will be cheapened or corrupted. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I know God could. So do I. So do the demons. So does everybody. I just read in Jeremiah this morning where God said, God said, behold, I am the Lord. Is anything too hard for me? The answer to that question is no. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. And that goes into what? My fixed beliefs. That's in my operating system. That's all the time right there. There was nothing too hard for him. The conversation of whether or not he can is not even a conversation. It's settled already to me. So the question is, what does he want to do right now? What does God want to do in this moment? So faith is not believing that God can but knowing that he will. And in order to know what God will do, you have to have a word from God. Faith is built on a word from God, and it's always tied to and consistent with his character. Or it's cheapened by we say, no, I'm believing that God can. That's not faith. That's halfway there, but it's not all the way there. And then, or it'll be corrupted. Somebody will take it and take faith and make it something else because it wasn't raised to the level that it needs to be. Faith is like, is, is like pure gold in the kingdom of God. It's precious. And so we can't let it lay in the lowlands. You guys ever, you guys know what pyrite is? Did you ever see pyrite? Have, we had a nugget of pyrite at my house when we were a kid. It looks nearly identical to gold. Um, and, if I, and if that much pyrite, what we had, had been gold, well, I wouldn't probably be here today, just perfect honesty. No, I'm kidding. But it was, it, was a lot, it was worth a lot of money, but it's not worth anything. It was a corrupted, cheap, and I mean, it's, a, it's an imitation. It's a natural imitation. It looks nearly identical to real gold, but it's not worth anything. And there are kinds of faith that end up being that way. So Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what faith is, and it says, Faith, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So it's translated, I think, maybe, it's, maybe there's another translation that reads this way, but something like this, now faith is being sure of what you hope for. 
I'm hoping for it, but I'm hoping with an assurance that it's coming. I know it's coming, and that's why my hope is placed in it. Well, how do you know? Well, because God has said that this thing is coming, the return of Christ. Do we hope for that? Like, maybe it's going to happen. Here's hoping. We hope for it with expectation because we know that God has said he's coming. We don't know when, but he also tells us about that. And he said, well, don't, don't take it personally. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Still, we know it's coming. And then the conviction that is being convinced of things that we cannot see. You see that? So you're sure of something that you hope for, and you're convinced of something that you cannot see, and that's when you're walking in real faith. Hasn't come yet. So what are you trusting in? You are trusting in a word from your God. That's why you know it's coming. That's why you know it's real. So I'm going to read a little story just briefly here. Uh, I was, when I was the pastor, this is, um, we have this out here if you're interested, the power of prayer, prayer of power. When I was pastor of Moody Church in Chicago, the little daughter of a man and woman who were both members of our church were taken very ill. She first had the measles, and the measles were followed by meningitis. She sank very low, and the doctor said to her mother, I can do no more for your child. She cannot live. The mother immediately hurried down to my house to get me to come to their house and pray for her child. But I was out of town holding meetings in Pittsburgh, so she sent for our assistant pastor, Reverend W.S. Jacoby, and he went up to the house with one of my colleagues and prayed for the child. That night when I got home from Pittsburgh, he came to my house to tell me about it, and he said, Mr. Torrey, if ever I had an answer to my prayers in my life, it was today when I was praying for the Duff child. He was confident that God had heard his prayer and that the child would be healed. And the child was healed right away. This occurred on a Saturday. The next morning, the doctor visited the home again, and there was such a remarkable change in the child that he said to Mrs. Duff, what have you done for your child? She told him just what she had done. And then he said, well, I'll give her some more medicine. No, she said, you will not. You said you could do no more for her, that she must die. So we went to God in prayer, and God has healed her. You are not going to take the honor to yourself by giving her some more medicine. Indeed, the girl was not only improved that morning, but she was completely well. Now, neither Mr. Jacoby nor I could pray for every sick child in that way, for it is not the will of God to heal every sick child nor every sick adult. It is God's general will in regard to his children that they be well in body. But there are cases when God, for wise purposes of his own, does not see fit to heal the sick. In those cases, if we are living near to God and listening for the voice of his Spirit and are entirely surrendered to the Spirit in our praying, the Spirit of God will make clear to us the will of God. You see that? That is, in my view, perfectly sound. He's not denying the supernatural, and he's not saying there's always going to be a healing if you can get your faith together, because that would be faith in your faith. You can't trust in your own faith. You don't get to choose the outcomes. You find out what the heart of God is. So the guy kneels down to pray, and he says, God, what do you want to do? And God says, I'm going to raise this child up. I don't care what that doctor says. And the, and the man says, well, then I'm believing God for this girl's healing. And he asked for it with great confidence. And the girl was well right away. So this is the prayer of faith. You know, I wish we could pray the prayer of faith for every person. But I've been in hospital rooms where the prayer of faith, where the faith just 
right from heaven. You pray the prayer of faith, and, and guaranteed, the person's going to be raised up. And there's other times where you say, God, what do you want to do? And the sense is, it's their time. And that's a hard word to accept because the family has brought you in to pray for them to be raised up, but sometimes it's their time. How many know how hard it is to say, this is what I'm sensing from God? And, but but I, like I said, I'm usually shift gears at that point and say, God, I'm hearing what you're saying, and I want to ask, would you be willing to extend, to give an extension to this life? The point is, we listen to the Holy Spirit and we walk with God. That's how we conduct ourselves in faith. Does this make sense to everybody? We, we have to. We have to. Because if you get in there and in your own flesh declare somebody's healing, you're gonna, the family will, pr- will probably lose faith in some regard. Because you don't have the right to do that. We can declare anything God's declaring. And we can believe for anything God is speaking and anything God is saying. But God cannot be fit into any formula. So we walk by faith. And, we will, and listen, you'll see the works of God. And no one will be able to discredit your ministry because you are walking in real faith. It's a high price. It's a high price to walk in real faith. So how can we know what God will do? I'll try to do this quickly. How can we know what God will do? Hebrews chapter 6, 13. For when God had made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Don't you love that? <laughs> God couldn't find anything greater in all the universe to swear by, so he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited, he, Abraham, obtained the promise. In Hebrews, you find this. It's so interesting to me that in Hebrews, it talks about all the things they did. They shut the mouths of lions. They conquered kingdoms. They did all these things by faith. And you know what else it says they did by faith? They obtained promises. And a promise is God giving you his assurance of what he's going to do. And so how can we know what God's going to do? Well, we start with the nature of God. It said, and this, these are the building blocks here. I'm showing you this. Is, um, I said God doesn't fit into formulas, but I'm showing you a pattern, okay? If you can, get, if you can handle that. Um, this is something that we sort of walk through. You start with the nature of God. This probably pertains more to your operating system side of things. This is the fundamentals of who God is. Um, that he swore by himself because there was nothing greater. So you start with the nature of God, that he's entirely trustworthy and good. And since you come to God in faith like that, you will obtain promises through faith. That's what happened with Abraham. He's looking at God. He says, I know who who God is. I know what he's like. And God says, well, I'm going to multiply you and bless you. And he says, well, I don't know how, but okay. I'm accepting your word as the truth. In verse 16, for men swear by one greater than themselves and with an oath given as confirmation is and just and with them an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of his promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. He he came in with a promise is what that means. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Do you hear this? This is just God's character. Rock solid and unchanging. He's not going to um, ever deceive you or lead you astray. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So trusting the promise of God and his faithful character, now we begin to see his purpose, which is the big picture. This is the process 
when you're in a crisis and you're trying to figure out what to do and you want to have faith and trying to believe, well, you start with, the, what, what, okay, I I'm totally feel like I'm just floating out here and I'm, I'm scared because I don't know what the future holds. So, so I need an anchor point and I need it fast. Anchor point number one, what is God like? Oh, wait a second. God's good. God's a rewarder. He's faithful and true. He's never going to leave me high and dry. He walks with us through, even through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll be with me. That's what God is like. So I settle those things first. That's step one. Next thing, I'm looking at the promise of God, and I'm, and I'm asking God, okay, I'm in this difficulty, and I don't know what your word is yet. Would you show me the greater purpose for the trouble? Because this is what, when you, when you see people have been through stuff, their testimony almost always involves them acknowledging, and then I realized the bigger thing God was doing. Have you noticed that? Big picture. They, they were caught in the moment of what was happening just to them, and they couldn't see that God was doing something much broader through the whole difficulty. And so you begin to, as it says right here, the unchangeableness of his purpose. God wants to reveal to you his purpose in the thing that's happening. And what Abraham and Sarah were facing was barrenness and the promise of children. How do you hold those two things in tension? We can't have kids, but God says he's going to give us children like the sands of the seashore. And so what's the bigger picture? What's God doing? Something bigger. He's going to use this to glorify himself in some way. So now that we know, once God helps us see the purpose of it, and his will has been sealed with a promise, because the promise comes. Somewhere in that process, the promise comes of what he was going to do. We can confidently hope in faith for its fulfillment. That's when you're waiting for the fulfillment. Or sometimes, no sooner does he give the promise, the answer just shows up. <laughs> Those are the best ones, right? Those are the ones we like the best. God just told me he's going to bless us. Oh, look, look at this check that just came in the mail. Praise God. You know, there it is. It's like that happens sometimes, but sometimes you're waiting in faith because one of the key words that pops up all the time is patience and patiently waited, patiently waiting because, because God is working a, a character of trust in you. Not this momentary, as soon as God promises it better be here in 30 minutes or I'm back to doubting, but hold on to the promise until it's fulfilled. That's real faith. But God does not let people be put to shame. So ask this question. Is the matter I'm trying to settle, is it eternal? Is it about doctrine? Is it about fundamentals of God? Or is it specific? And is it bound by time? This is if you're, when you're trying to have faith in any situation that you find yourself in. Are you trying to figure out what you believe about something? Or are you trying to, to apply what you believe to a situation that's active? If the matter is eternal... It falls under the category of passive faith, and we can simply look to unchanging eternal truths and believe them. That's the beautiful thing about having the Word of God at your fingertips, you know what I mean? Because if you're not sure, if you need to know, like sometimes, I mean, God is not done showing you what He's like. Can I say that to you? We have some ideas, even to say that God is good, well, there's a thousand things that that means. And he's not done showing you his, his character. He has more to show you. And he has things to show you that your circumstances will lead you to. You'll go through this and you'll say, God, but I, I want to understand more about what you're like. And he reveals things in those moments. So you can go to the scriptures and you can talk to people who know God and all of this and, and establish those things. But if the matter is specific and bound by time, 
like I need an answer for this circumstance, for this situation that I'm in right now, then it's a matter of active faith and requires a living word from God. So the question in that moment is, God, what are you saying? God, what are you saying? We know what he has said, and, we, and I'm going to address that here, but we know, we know what he has said, but you need to know what he is saying. This is why I talked to you last week about the law and the prophets, because you don't know how the word's going to come. You might get a scripture straight from the scriptures, or a person might come to you and say, I was praying for you, and God sent me here to tell you whatever it is. You don't know how it's going to come, but however it comes, you need a living word so that you can know what's coming. And the scriptures are a tremendous source for living words, but verses must be activated, that's the term that I use, by the Holy Spirit and applied to the need of the hour. So you might, you can find verses that talk about your circumstances, but you need to ask God what he's saying. You need to know what he is saying and not, and not just, because don't just pick one and hope, but say, God, I need you to speak this and confirm it. Sometimes you'll see a verse and you'll say, I think this might be what God's saying. And then you ask God to confirm it. He sends people into your life and say, I was praying for you. This scripture came to mind. It's the same one you were looking at. Well, guess what? He's confirming his word. He wants you to know that it's what he's saying. And when, he, when he, the word comes and on the testimony of what does the Bible say? Two or three witnesses, a matter is to be established. And so you get two or three witnesses, you get the word and a confirmation or two, then you can say, this is what God is saying. I'm putting my feet here and I will not move from this point. Because God is very faithful. And when you ask, he wants you to know. He wants you to know what he's saying because he wants you to trust in your word and put all your hope in him. As we follow the Spirit, he will lead us to all truth regarding everything and the faith that we need will be given by God. Is that good news? Is it a little more complicated than sometimes it seems? I mean, and, I, and I'm just, I'm trying to help us navigate through the difficulties that come because there are so many different ideas in circulation out in the world today. And we just need to hold to what the Bible teaches. And then here's the other side of it. When you, you, we go out and practice what we believe and just pay attention to the fruit. Yes. If the fruit is not good, then you go back to the Lord and say, what went wrong? Yes. And let him refine for us the way that we practice and work out faith. But um, it really matters that we are, are holding to um, the living God and a living word when we say, I'm believing God. But when you hold to those things, you can be sure you will not be put to shame. God is going to come through. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We bless your name. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in faith and that we would not stumble. And help us, Lord, teach us to be wise. Help us to hear your voice when we need to hear you. Help us, Lord, to see what word you're saying when we read the Bible. I pray, God, that we, would, that we would not be a people who are going through a famine of the word of God, but that instead, Lord, we would be at a bountiful table and you would make it very clear what exactly, how exactly it is you're leading us, Lord. And then we, for our part, will stand on your word and trust you because you have never given us any reason not to. We hold fast to you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.